and see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet. For the conqueror has risen, and as the stone is rolled away, and Christ emerges from the grave, this victory march continues till the day every eye and heart shall see. Good morning, everyone. We're going to start in just about three minutes. Just want to give you a reminder to pick up lyric sheets. They're on both sides of the, the lawn. Also, just a gentle reminder to maintain social distancing. For those who especially who are still uncomfortable, just a way to serve, way to remember that we are to submit ourselves to the institutions above us the way to love and care for one another. So please pick up your, your song sheets and we will start in just a couple minutes. Thanks.
Okay, good morning, everyone. Along with the psalmist in Psalm 135, we declare hallelujah. Maybe you can say that with me. Ready? Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, you servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for it is delightful. This morning we come to rejoice and bow down before our God who is both good and delightful, who has most wonderfully revealed himself to us in Jesus. He is both Son of God and Son of Man, our slain but risen Savior King. So let us sing praise to his name. Would you stand with us? Robed in frail humanity In our longing, in our darkness Now the light of life has come Took a Christ who condescended Took on flesh to ransom us Come behold Christ the Lord upon the tree, in the stead of ruined sinners, hangs the Lamb in victory. Taste. What a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering. 
Christ in power, resurrected as we will be when he comes. Hey, just real quick, aren't we happy to see Lindsay back with us this Sunday? Psalm 46, 1 to 3 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in all times of trouble. the battle, we won't fear the night, we will walk the valley with you by our side, you will go before us, you will lead the way, we have found a refuge only you can save, sing with joy now, our God is for us, the Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress, raise your for us. separate us hell and death will not defeat us he who gave his son to free us holds me in his love neither high love is a strong and mighty fortress. Praise your voice now. No love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us? Sing with joy now. Our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Praise your voice now. No love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us. 
You can have a seat. The author of Hebrews writes in chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, this morning we gather as a people and come before your throne in the name of Jesus, your Son. Our only hope is Jesus. 
And therefore, we hold fast to the truths and the reality of the gospel message that this Jesus, the Son of God, has come and taken on flesh, lived a life of obedience, and died in our place. And therefore, we have this great high priest who stands before the throne on our behalf. And so we are welcomed before you to bring our cares, our burdens, our thoughts, our praises. And we have a Father who is eager and ready to listen. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that is poured out upon us because of Jesus. And so we are a people who have reason to sing for joy and to pray with confidence this morning before you. And we do it with gratefulness and thanksgiving in our hearts. We pray that as we gather, your spirit would fill this place, that we would be affected and changed, and that you would be glorified. We thank you, Lord, that we have opportunity to gather in freedom in this country that you have provided for us, that we are free to stand out here and to shout hallelujah because of the gospel message. What a kindness and mercy to us. We thank you for your word and for how it is meant to draw us near to you and to affect change in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you for our current preaching series, Gospel Shaped Culture, and we ask that it would not just bring us words that are true and things for us to think about, but that by your spirit we would be a people changed, that we would be a community that reflects and magnifies the beauty and worth of the gospel. Change us by your word. Do as you have promised. Fulfill it, Lord, we ask, by the power of your spirit. We thank you that we are not seeking to do all these things on our own, but that we have friends eager to do the same in other places in this country and around the world. We think particularly this morning, of our friends in Cambridge, Massachusetts, in Trinity Church. We pray that that Sovereign Grace Church would be filled with great joy today, that your word would be profoundly effective on their hearts and on their lives, and that their message and witness would be clearly seen and experienced in that city. We pray for our friends in Gotova, Belarus, for Pastor Vladimir and Pastor Anatoly, we ask that you would strengthen those brothers, that you would give them courage to speak truth in that place, that those saints there would be filled with joy and would preach the gospel to family, to friends, to neighbors and co-workers, that Jesus would be made much of in Belarus because of their labors. We thank you, Lord, for the young people of this church, particularly those in junior high and high school and are a part of our rooted ministry, we ask, Lord, that you would encourage parents to lead out in discipling the next generation, that the young ones of this church would taste and see that Jesus is better than anything this world is offering to them, that Jesus is worth it, and that they would grow up strong, holding fast to Jesus, steadfast 
in this world and in this culture that wants to pull them away, but that they would be courageous young men and women who know that Jesus is glorious and aren't afraid to live it and to say it. Father, you have been kind and generous to us in providing for all of our needs. We thank you for the giving, the generous giving of the people of this church. We ask that you would give us wisdom to steward those things well. Use it for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Just a couple of announcements this morning. A reminder about uh, giving to the church. There are a few ways that you can do that. You can visit the church website uh, and give online through there. You can also mail anything to uh, to the church office. You can also, we have a, a, a contact-free drop box up here in the front. And you can also text to give at, uh, you can text GTGIVE to 73256. Uh, we are going to continue this Monday night having our online Zoom prayer meeting. Uh, and tomorrow we will have a special guest at our 7 o'clock meeting, uh, Pastor Stephen Bound from our Sovereign Grace Church in Frankfurt, uh, in the area of Philadelphia. He will be joining us for that prayer meeting, giving an update and praying with us. So we invite you to participate, be a part of that. You can find the invite for that on the the weekly um, email that has gone out. And then also just wanted to draw your attention again, on that weekly email, uh, there's a list of our uh, junior high, senior high summer events, our rooted events, just a number of, of uh, w- uh, gatherings throughout the summer for us to hang out together, play some games. So I want you to check those out. If you don't uh, have that email, you need information, please contact the church office. We'll make sure you get those dates and times. If there's any other way that we can serve you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Thank you. Good morning. I hope your uh, 4th of July weekend and celebration uh, has been enjoyable. Mine did not end uh, exactly like I planned. Last night around 9 o'clock I stepped out on my front porch and a bug flew in my ear. That's bad enough, uh, but the bug didn't come out. So my wife helped me a little bit. And then I went to the ER uh, where the doctor worked on my ear uh, for about an hour. He thinks everything was successful, but I'm not convinced. Uh, My right ear is still clogged, so if the sermon is bad, uh, you can blame it on the bug. That was my compelling intro to my sermon Uh, to get your attention, but that story has nothing to do uh, with my sermon. So, but now you are paying attention. Uh, We are in a preaching series, uh, as Dan prayed, called Gospel-Shaped Culture. We are looking at how uh, the events and circumstances that we experience every day, we're looking at at how they, they shape us how we process them, how we respond to them. We know that our our culture uh, influences us, influences how we think, how we feel, how we respond. Uh, We're aware of that sometimes, and other times we're 
we're blind to see how our culture influences us. But Jesus Christ and his gospel, it redeems us and transforms our lives. It transforms us to be a people and a community that is distinct from the world. As a church, we are meant to reflect the beauty of the gospel and the glory of God. So in this series, we are looking at specific values that should shape and mark the life of a Christian, that should impact how we do life together. So far, we've looked at humility and godliness and serving, and the topic for today is generosity. How should we think about generosity? Why should we be generous? What should motivate our generosity, and how do we live out generosity in our daily lives? We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, uh, please open it there. I'll be reading verse 28. God's word says this. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The Apostle Paul in this verse says that we we shouldn't steal, but rather we should work hard in order that we have something to give away. Or another way to say it is we should work hard to be generous. And so I'd like to consider three points today in the message, and they all start with the letter M, so hopefully that helps you to follow along. We're going to first consider the mindset of generosity, the motivation for generosity, and the mission of generosity. The mindset of generosity, the motivation for generosity, and the mission of generosity. The mindset of generosity is not our mindset, it is God's. God's mind is set on generosity. It was his idea and it was in his heart first. Our God has always been a generous God. We see this from the beginning in creation. God doesn't create a world that's boring or tasteless or colorless. God creates an amazing world that is full of beauty and wonder and taste and smell and experience. And then as the the top of his creation, God creates man. And not only does God share his creation with man, we read in Genesis 1, 28, that God tells man to fill the earth and subdue it. And he gives him to dominion or control. Out of his generosity, God gives his creation to man to oversee. And God gives man a body that is maximized to experience every aspect of the created world. Do you ever think about that? Think about your sense of smell. God created a world that smells good. 
flowers smell good. Fresh, hot donuts smell good. Babies, most of the time, smell good. And God was generous enough to give you a nose to experience all of the smells of life that he created. Every part of God's created world that we have the ability to experience is a gift of his creative generosity. And so we see God's generosity in creation, but most clearly we see God's generosity in the gospel. God's mindset of generosity is most clearly seen on the cross. And so we, before we, we dig into Ephesians 4.28, we have to look at the, the foundation for this command and the other commands that Paul gives in this letter. The first two chapters of Ephesians, Paul deals with the blessings and benefits of the gospel. And these chapters are filled with language that praises God for his work on the cross. One of the, the greatest, most descriptive passages of God's generosity at the cross is found in Ephesians 1. In his discussion of the blessings and benefits of the gospel, the Apostle Paul, he piles up the generosity language to describe what happened there. Look at Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. This verse tells us that we have been redeemed. We have been bought back from our sin by Jesus' blood that was spilled on the cross. This verse also tells us that we have been forgiven. Jesus was punished for our sin. And we have been pardoned. We have been Set free, there is no longer a price to pay. No guilt remains. Jesus paid it all. But these verses tell us something else. Our redemption and our forgiveness have a source. They flow from a God who is rich. Look at the end of verse 7. We have redemption. We have forgiveness. Where are they from? What is the source? According to the riches of God's grace. Our God is rich. He is rich in grace. We use that word grace a lot. It means favor or goodness or kind disposition towards people that don't deserve it. That is us. In our sin, we don't deserve God's grace. We deserve God's justice. We deserve His wrath. We deserve His anger for our sin. But God is rich. He is rich in grace, and He chooses to take that grace he takes it from the deposit of his riches. And look 
at verse 8, what does he do? He lavished that grace on us at the cross. That word lavish, it means luxurious or fancy. It means to overspend or to spoil in a good way. It means over the top, beyond compare. Years ago when my aunt turned 50, she wanted to celebrate in a special way. And so she decided that she would take the family on a cruise to celebrate her birthday. It was one of the best gifts I ever received, and it wasn't my birthday. And so she took us on this lavish vacation. When it comes to the cross, that is what God did. He loved us so much that he heaped up the grace and he lavished it on us. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul continues with this same discussion of the blessings and benefits of the gospel. And he talks about God's mercy. Look at chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. God's mercy and God's grace are often placed together in the Bible. But they are, are different things. God's grace, as we said, is his goodness toward those deserving punishment, while mercy is God's goodness towards those in misery or distress, the, the suffering and the hurting. We are both those that do not deserve God's grace, and we are those that are suffering and hurting, and our God has poured out his mercy and his grace. When each of my children were born, uh, we opened a, a savings account for them. When you open a bank account, you know this, that you can give the account a, a nickname to distinguish it from your other accounts. So when my first three girls were born, I just, I just used their name. I wasn't very creative. But when my son Philip was born, I got a little creative and I called his account Phil's Fund with a PH. And then when my daughter Magnolia was born recently, a couple people gave us some money for her and I, I named her account Maggie's Money. So I'm getting better as a father in my creativity. Our God has two bank accounts. One account has the nickname rich mercy and the other account has the nickname lavish grace these are vast accounts they cannot be depleted they cannot be measured they cannot be counted or quantified they cannot be spent and God has chosen not to hoard these riches but he has chosen to give you access to these accounts through faith in Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians 2, 7, 
we see that God's rich grace and his lavish mercy, they don't just stop at the cross. They continue on. Look at verse 7 of chapter 2. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. As we said, God's riches are immeasurable. You can't put a lid on them. You can't add them up. You can't come up with a number. And God's plan in the coming ages is to show them to us. I take that to mean that that heaven, that eternity is nothing but billions and billions of unending days experiencing God's riches, experiencing his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That is God's mindset. He is rich and his mind is set on generosity. But this mindset of generosity is not our natural mindset. We're not born into this world with a natural bent towards generosity. Our our natural bent in our sinfulness is actually to be selfish. In our sin, we have the mindset of a thief. Back to our text in Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You see, the mindset of a thief is to get more for themselves at any cost. Now, I would just venture to guess most of you are not hardened criminals. You're not thieves. But we have that same selfish desire to keep for ourselves, don't we? We understand selfishness from a young age. If you gather a few small children together in a room of toys, and those toys don't belong to any of those children, and you just observe those children for a few minutes, uh, fights will break out. And if you try to intervene in those fights, children will say things like, I had that first, it's mine. Getting and keeping more for ourselves is our natural bent. But the gospel reverses that. The selfish mindset has been transformed on the cross. Because of God's generous mindset in sending his son Jesus to die on the cross, our slavery to our sin, our selfish mindset has been broken. Because of Jesus' transforming work on the cross, We no longer have to be motivated by our selfish desires. When we turn from our sinful ways and trust in Jesus, we are transformed. We are given a new heart that is wired to love God and others. Once we understand and experience 
the grace of God in the gospel, we are changed and we are given new motivations. Which brings us to our second point, the motivation for generosity. The motivation for generosity is understanding God's mindset of generosity. We have experienced the mercy and grace of God in the gospel, and that grace should motivate us to love and obey God. The thief is motivated by selfishness, but the Christian has been transformed. We have new affections and new motivations as our heart is changed by the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. The motivation to please self is now replaced by a motivation to serve and please God and to love our neighbor. But why does the Apostle Paul bring up theft? He could have just said selfishness, but he brings up theft. Stealing was actually common in the context that Paul writes to in the Ephesian church. So he speaks to a church where there are some attending uh, who were used to stealing to getting what they want. They may have stolen out of selfishness. Some may have even tried to steal out of desperate need. But Paul says, no, the, the thief should no longer steal, but rather work. Their life is to be changed. See, Paul wants them to live out the implications of the gospel. If you just go a couple verses up, from our text in verses 22 and 24 of Ephesians 4. Paul says that they are to put off the old self and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It was two weeks ago, Pastor Eric preached uh, a sermon on godliness and he, he referenced uh, this passage that has changed people. We are to pursue lives of godliness, to act as renewed people in our thoughts and speech and actions. And so instead of theft, Paul speaks about the need for honest work that is motivated by a love for God and others. You know, we were created by God to work. We tend to think of work as, as a bad thing. Oh, it's Monday morning, got to go to work. But work is a, a good thing. Work is a gift from God. In the garden before Adam and Eve fell, work was good. It was joyful. I still think work was a a labor, but it was a joyful labor. And so we are called to be people who work, who honor God as we work diligently. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So we honor God as we work diligently. We're also to work hard to provide for our family. 1 Timothy 5, 5, 8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So work has a good purpose. We obey God. We provide for our needs and the needs of our family. And then in verse 28, Paul gives another purpose for work. It is to share with those in need. One way that we live out our faith and love God and others is to work hard so we have something to share with others. Or to put it another way, we work for generosity. So part of our motivation in getting up on Monday morning is not to work so we have more, but to work that we have more to give. John Wesley put it this way, work as hard as you can, make as much as you can, then give as much as you can. That changes how we approach Monday morning, doesn't it? That changes how we approach earning money. I'm working to honor God. I'm working to provide for my family. And I am working so that I have something to give away. A few weeks ago, we were still in our our series on Luke. And we were in Luke chapter 19. And we learned about a man named Zacchaeus. Now, when you hear the name Zacchaeus, if you start to sing Zacchaeus was a we if you start to sing that you spent too much time in Sunday school like me and that's okay. But Zacchaeus though he was a wee little man, he was a wealthy man. The Bible tells us that he was rich and he was a tax collector. Tax collectors were known for collecting more money than they were supposed to. It was a a socially acceptable form of theft. Yet when Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, he is changed. But we don't read that Zacchaeus gave up his job as a tax collector. Rather, as his heart is changed, he has a new motivation for work. Before meeting Jesus, he was motivated by selfishness. His his life statement would have been, work as hard as you can. Defraud as many people as you can. Get as much as you can for yourself. But as Jesus changes his heart, his motivations for work change from self to others. He promises that he will repay anyone he defrauded four times over. And then he makes this statement. I will give half my possessions to the poor. 
Think about it. Zacchaeus goes from a thief to someone whose giving level is 50% of their income. He understood God's generous mindset. He had the proper motivation, and he took action to live generously. Which brings us to our final point, the mission of generosity. God's grace in the gospel motivates us to be generous, but we need to take action and actually be generous. We need to live out the mission of generosity and share with others to actually be a giver. Here's the problem. We can all have a desire to be generous. But at times, we get hung up on the action of actually being generous. We can hear of a, of a need that someone has and our, our heart can be moved to compassion. Or we can hear a, a sermon on giving and it, it, it challenges us in some way. But at times, it, it stops there without any follow-through, without any action. Without actually giving, we're not being generous. We're being selfish. In high school, I took four years of C++ computer programming. Now, I have absolutely no idea if C++ is something that is still used. And after four years of C++, I know nothing about computer programming in C++. I could not write a program now to save my life. But I do remember one thing from those classes, and that was called the infinite loop. Here's the technical definition. If the conditions of the code are not expressed correctly, then the program would not execute correctly. What that means is if you didn't finish what you started in the correct way in your code, you would create an infinite loop. Meaning that when you ran your program, it would just run and run and run and run and crash your computer and you would have to restart. We used to hate when you would run the program and get an infinite loop. Well, the same thing is true with generosity. Generous intentions without generous actions create an infinite loop of selfishness. Without output, our generous intentions crash. And so we need action that matches our intention. So what types of things hinder our generous intentions from becoming generous actions? Often I find it's, it's just the situations of our life. The cares and the pressures and the worries of life that we, we all have can distract us just enough that we put generosity on hold hoping that in the future our situation will change and then we can be generous. So 
So once I have enough, then I'll be more generous. Once my salary gets to this level, then I'll be more generous. Once the, the economy is better, I'll be more generous. But that is an infinite loop. Think about where we are right now as a country. Think about all that we've experienced over the past few months. There's not a lot of certainty on our financial future ahead. There's a lot of people that have lost their jobs. Locally, our economy is, is trying to restart, but there is, there's concern of what that's going to look like or how long that is going to take. Added to that, this has, been, this has been a hard season. Many of us are weary. We're worn down. We face each day with, with some fears about our health or even the health of family members. Maybe your job has been shut down due to virus restrictions. Maybe your retirement portfolio has kind of looked like a roller coaster. Maybe you are a mother with young children and you just did three months of homeschool. Now you're still on like summer lockdown and you're worried about what the fall is going to look like. Maybe you're just overwhelmed by the headlines. Maybe you're fearful of what tomorrow is going to bring. You see, when we're weary, when we're worn down, when we're distracted by difficult situations and fears about the future, these things can all cause us to hold back. They can cause us to suspend generosity. One of the most famous examples of generous action when life was uncertain is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church to encourage them to give generously. And to encourage them, he points out uh, the Macedonians and their example of generosity. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. He writes to the Corinthian church and he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. See, Paul wants to highlight the incredible circumstances around their generosity. So first, he says that they were in extreme poverty. And then he says that they were in a severe test of affliction. Most likely, they were being persecuted for their faith. And it's probable that their persecution is what led to their extreme poverty. So even if the Macedonians had generous intentions to give, it would seem like their situation being poor and persecuted, that would just prevent them from giving in any way. But it doesn't. They don't let their circumstances limit their generosity. 
and they are commended because they acted generously despite their circumstances. They acted with such generosity that, that Paul is surprised. He doesn't understand it, and he says they gave beyond their means. Meaning that it appears like they gave more than was even possible for them to give. Generosity when it doesn't seem to make sense. Difficult circumstances like we're in now, they can affect our finances. We, we see this around us now. Fears from the virus, the real effect on our economy. 15% or more unemployment in our state. And though most of us are not in extreme poverty, nor are we being persecuted, uh, this situation has been hard. We could describe what we're facing now as a test of affliction. Two weeks into uh, this pandemic, this situation, as pastors, we had no idea what the impact would be on our church. It was becoming apparent that we were not going to be able to gather for a season. We had no idea what the impact would be financially on our church. It didn't look good. So if you remember, we, we gathered together for an online meeting. And we, we laid out, here's some of the cuts we think we need to make just to survive the unknown. And as a church, in the weeks following that meeting, you responded with incredible generosity. You responded like the Macedonians. You responded with generosity at times beyond your means. But not only has your generosity marked the weekly offering, in a much greater way it has marked your care and your interaction with one another. Let me just list some of the ways that I have observed the grace of God overflowing in generosity in our church over the past three months. Over 60 pot pies were baked and delivered during this time period, and they are very good, even if you got a gluten-free pot pie. Someone gave an anonymous gift to care for our church staff. Thirteen volunteers, along with our deacons, made almost 300 phone calls to those in our church to see how they were doing, to see if there was any need that they had. Groceries were picked up and delivered. One person was, was just struggling to get their weekly shopping done, and they reached out to someone else in the church, and that person stopped everything they were doing, met them in the grocery store, and helped them to finish their order. Face masks were made and given out to those that needed them. Sunday school teachers gave their time 
week after week to put together lessons for our Green Tree kids. Dozens of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches were made and delivered with a Bible verse to be distributed in Atlantic City. Week after week, Jack and James came to make sure we had a service to view on live stream. This sound system that we're using now is on loan. The umbrellas you're sitting under, someone hunted them down, bought them, and donated them. Letters, cards, emails almost weekly to encourage your pastors. Calls and texts, what can we do? How can we help? What needs are there? Personally, our family was on the receiving end of so much generosity during this season. The middle of a pandemic is a terrible time to have a child. But we did it. My wife did it. I just sat there in a mask. Someone gave us an incredible special gift. Cards came in the mail with gift cards. The diaper fairy secretly left packages on our doorstep. Two weeks of delicious meals were delivered to our home when Magnolia was born. Personal notes of encouragement. Our, our family and our church was so blessed by your generosity in this season. So Green Tree, we should... Celebrate this grace of God. We celebrate that this church understands God's mindset of generosity. This church has the right motivation for generosity. And this church lives out the mission of generosity. And so your pastors, we, we applaud your example, and your faithfulness. We thank God for his grace in your lives, but we want more. And so we, we pray for more. So let's dive deep into understanding God's generous heart. Let's keep examining our own heart motivations. Let's be quick to turn from selfishness. And let's Join together to live out the mission of generosity that God has called us to. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we have only scratched the surface in understanding your grace in generosity. How little we, we truly no. But Father, we thank you for your grace that we have experienced on the cross. That our sin has been paid for. And we thank you that from unending, for unending days, we will know and experience your generous heart. So Father, give us much grace to live these things out for our joy together and for your glory. 
and for a witness to the world around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and to the hillside where justice and mercy embraced there the son of God gave his life for us and our measureless debt was erased Jesus to you to the heavens our king will return for his own every knee will bow every tongue will shout all glory to Jesus alone Jesus to you
As we end our service, we want to thank you so much for uh, joining us, whether you're out here on the lawn or you uh, are joining us online. We're so grateful that, uh, that you're with us this morning. After the service, the pastors will be up front. Uh, if you do not know the grace of God uh, that was demonstrated on the cross through Jesus Christ, we would love to, to talk with you. Or if you just have questions and you're unsure, uh, we would be glad to, to spend whatever time you need. If there's some way we could serve you or something we could pray about, please feel free to come forward. If you're watching online, there'll be a number that comes up that you can text, uh, and that'll connect you with one of the pastors. Apostle Paul concludes Ephesians chapter 3 with these verses. Now to him who is able... To do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Sun comes up, it's in.